It's not always easy being an adult. You may hear a little bit in my voice. It sounds like I'm recovering from something. It's because, uh, yes, a plague swept through our house, and uh, usually it skips me. But for the first time in what I can recollect, uh, maybe seven, eight years, had a fever, wrestled with something, and now on the mend. And it's got me thinking a lot about really the gener- the generalizations and stereotypes that I don't appreciate about uh, breakdowns, generational breakdowns, uh, because I tend to work with two groups of people that get stereotyped a lot. On one end, uh, clients who, so I'm, I'll be 39 next month, clients who are, you know, my age or a little bit older, that maybe even 15, 20 years older, that, um, just know what it means to accept a lot of duty and discipline and, and get it done and shut down parts of who they are to progress, progress, progress. And then I get to help them figure out like, oh, these parts haven't really been made peace with. You've stuffed this down. Let's figure out how to make some changes and really live out of a secure core. The other group, it tends to be um, you know, younger than me that maybe don't have as many life commitments that have a lot of early success with a company uh, or some you know, t- career trajectory. And the reality is there's a, there's a phrase online that's used, adulting. Uh, adulting is difficult. And I feel caught in the middle because on one end, it's like I get how fun it is to binge watch some Netflix. Uh, I get FOMO, FOMU, fear of missing out and fear of messing up. Um, and I lived, you know, in my 20s by this process of just discipline, duty, shut it down, uh, not really discovering desire and how to, you know, be happy with myself regardless of circumstances. Uh, on the other hand, I don't want to go to the extreme of just checking out and not developing my grit and my perseverance. And so I want to give you a way of thinking about this that's beyond the stereotypes and generalizations. Growing up doesn't have to suck if you're aware. You know, I think that there's this pressure that says, you know, I'm going to lose myself as I grow up. It's this quest to uh, go to Neverland and uh, be a lost boy or girl forever. Here's the best way that I can express the beauty and power of growing up. Uh, it's a quote I think I've shared with you before. Charles Baudelaire, I think, is a French poet. And basically, when he describes genius, he describes it this way. Genius is recovering childhood at will with the skill of adulthood. Whoa. So it's recovering childhood at will, your passion, your playfulness, the interest, the curiosity, uh, what made you skip down the beach um, with the skill of adulthood, marshalling and directing your energies, becoming more and more uh, aware and focused, uh, able to leverage your life in such a way that you move the battle to your strengths and have a complete blast doing it. And that's how I want to live my life. I want to recover childhood at will with the skill of adulthood. And uh, what I've been walking through these last few weeks, and again, the, the series that we're focused on for this whole year, for 2016 with the podcast, is living out a clear mission and building a healthy community. And for this chunk, we're focused on this healthy community. And I've been talking the last few weeks about the distractions that keep you from building a healthy community. Those distractions like you failed too much, you're too late. You're forgotten. And I want to talk to you about one of the biggest ones today, if not the biggest one, and it's this. You're not enough. 
You're not enough. And this is why we are afraid of putting ourselves out there, of adulthood, what it means for me to have some sick kids uh, with us recovering from our cold and having moments where I was fixing somebody something to eat um, and I just felt absolutely obliterated. I had like a fever at that time, but but the food had to be fixed. Um, the challenge of adulthood. And so I want to give you a way of thinking about this fear that I'm going to be found out, that I'm not enough, that I don't measure up in a way that isn't just airy-fairy, but real and solid. So before I get into that, let me tell you a story. I was um, in, a, in a tough situation. I had a leader who wanted me to really start leading an organization with my vision. And the idea was they were going to start backing off of their vision. So a transition was in place. And phrases were used like, hey, your hands are untied. Go, go build this for what you want it to be. Your hands are untied. Your hands are untied. The problem was that behind the scenes, my hands really weren't untied because as the primary founder of the organization, uh, that person would do things that would undo the work I was doing. So you have what should be a transitioning transition that's happening. Instead, two competing visions begin to occur. So people were like, do I follow the founder or do I follow Chris? And the tension of this became really palpable. Um, and I, I need to be very clear on this. I was careful to not take something before it was given right? And that's a huge thing. A lot of times leaders can be really passionate and see a better way and they're going to take it, right? You don't take something like that until it's given. Um, If you have to take it, you're going to spill a lot of blood. You're going to deform who you are. You need to leave the organization, Um, which is eventually what ended up happening. But before I did that, I, I got inspired one day. And this phrase that kept being used, your hands are untied, your hands are untied, just wasn't happening. So I went into the meeting with uh, this founder, and I tied my hands up with yarn. So I walk in with my hands tied up, and it's kind of like, hey, what are you doing? Uh, Why are your hands tied up? What's that for? And I replied, you said my hands were untied, but as the leader, only you can untie them. So he did. He said, hey, yeah, I've been saying they're untied, so they're untied. And then I asked for his wrists, and I took the yarn really quickly and tied his wrists up. And I said this, this yarn has to go somewhere. If my hands are untied, then yours have to be tied up. And the reality is you have to support the vision. If you want a transition to occur, you have to support it. If not, I'm not asking for this. I'm not going to take it. I'll totally back off. Now, While that has all kinds of lessons for transitioning leadership, and we could talk a ton about that, I want to use that story to frame how you think about your inner critic. Because uh, there's different ways of describing it. One of the ways I like to talk about it is the, the voice of shame, right? Something that tells you that in your identity you're not enough, you don't measure up. Uh, But your inner critic has one message. Shame has one message to communicate that, that you're not enough. And your inner critic or shame has a goal, to keep your hands tied up, to make you feel trapped 
in adulthood, to make you feel trapped in commitments, to make you feel trapped uh, in places that you put yourself out there, or to keep you from ever putting yourself out there and trying that risk, taking that next step you need to take. So the moment you recognize the presence and power of the inner critic or shame, everything can change because here's what you get to do. You get to untie your wrists and for maybe lack of a better way of saying it, tie up your inner critic. You get to tie up the shame. You get to give it boundaries. And then you get to give it a big hug and tell it to relax because you don't have to hide who you are or what you want to go after anymore. Now, I want to make a statement that uh, it seems sweeping, but, it, you know, anecdotally, I've seen it over and over. Most leaders are too internally distracted with their inner critic to really untie their hands and take the next right step. And so when you're building a team or community, the most insidious distraction you'll face is that shame or that inner critic. And it will work against you bringing your whole heart or full engagement to whatever enterprise you're involved in. See, at the core of bringing full engagement is the inner critic's message uh, of shame. You are not enough. I remember when I started teaching as a professor and... uh, I was just convinced, like, oh my gosh, administration's going to walk down the hall and hear me teaching and go, who is this fraud, this hack, why did we hire him? Uh, as I take different engagements and step into different arenas and, and serve people in different ways, you know, you get into places where there's a lot on the line and there's a lot of responsibility and uh, a lot of pressure. And if the inner critic is raging, shame is tying my hands up, it's like, oh, they're going to find out you don't have any clue what you're talking about. And I, I have to give my inner critic a big hug, tell it to relax, tie its hands up so mine can be untied and go, no, I've seen this, I've done this, I've been here before, I have what it takes. See, the true you has all you need to engage whatever it is that you need to do, leading your team, whatever. And when you believe you aren't enough, you'll be tempted to passively resign or aggressively prove. And either of these ditches will block the healthy overflow of your leadership. Even when you don't have the answers or feel a little off rhythm, you have what you need. And what we want to learn is that the default baseline of our mind determines everything about our lives. And if the default baseline of our mind is to believe something false about ourselves, then this fear that we're not enough is going to block us up. So I want you to climb and build. I want you to make things happen. But we want to understand that we are enough. We don't have to passively resign today or aggressively prove. We can set our hands free to get to work building a life we love. We get to look at the places that we need to bring some adulthood energy and recover the childhood at will. So, you know, I want to talk to you about a few practical places this applies to really let you know how much this sinks into your daily life. Because for a lot of people, what they don't understand is this is not just something that, uh, you know, you introspect on and then you go back right into your life the same. It actually translates into what lays, what, what keeps you up at night, uh, what causes your brain to continually get drained. So let's talk for you through a few of those. Uh, one of the things that you'll face today, if the inner critic has power over you, that you aren't enough, is it's going to keep you from the courageous a tasks, the things that create um, the most movement for you, the most momentum, and the inner critic or shame is going to get you distracted by thinking you're getting stuff done if you accomplish B and C tasks, a lower priority. 
So I want you to learn to create an emotional revulsion for those B tasks. That, no, this is a waste of my time. This is shame's power over me. I need to focus on the big thing. Uh, As you face your day today, maybe if you're in a place where you set the prices for your work, the inner critic is going to cause you to devalue that work and to set that price at such a low point that you're actually not going to be super inspired to jump into the work. Uh, If the inner critic or shame is untied and wreaking havoc, you're going to be thinking about that email. Um, It's going to be draining your energy, that thing that somebody communicated to you. And you're not able to deconstruct it and say, oh, I'm just falsely believing I'm not enough because they sent me an unhappy email. Instead, you're going to be obsessing over why don't they like me and how can I get them to like me? Uh, If their inner critic is raging, causing you to believe you're not enough and internal distraction is winning the battle, uh, you'll fail to build appropriate accountability into the systems around you. Um, And I get asked sometimes, like, how do you define accountability? Uh, What does it mean to hold people's, you know, feet to the fire on something they commit to do? It's very simple. What's the role that we agree that you fulfill? What's the task you're fulfilling? And when will you have it done by? An agreed upon role, an agreed upon task, and an agreed upon deadline. And it's that simple. Um, Obviously, for the work that we do, there's multiple tasks and multiple layers, but that's it. And guess what keeps you from giving that kind of clarity to the people you lead? Your own internal junk. Yeah. How do I know when a leader is raging with the battle of an internal distraction? When they ramp up intensity and they can't give clarity. Clarity beats a ramping up of intensity. That's what actually gets things done. A ramping up of intensity is a panic move. Um, How do you know when the inner critic is raging uh, with the commitments that you make? If you're afraid. If you're afraid of adulthood, if you're afraid of growing up, growing up, like I said at the beginning, doesn't have to suck if you're aware. Becoming aware makes life an adventure. It's a joy and it's a privilege, even in the challenging and the hard moments. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, Look for the ways that that inner critic is raging, that shame that can be quieted, and uh, understand it's an internal distraction that can wreak havoc and there is a better way. I want to share something with you as we close. Um, in case you don't know, most of what I do in working with people, uh, speaking, coaching, consulting, everything as right as an author is about this process of really learning how to harness what's in you to quiet that shame, to flip it, and to change who you are as a leader to get the results that you want to see. And kind of a bedrock of what I do is a 12-week coaching process. And um, The eventual plan is to have others that are trained in doing that. We've been doing some of that behind the scenes already. But I am going to do um, something that I may not offer again, but I'm going to do it for October and November. Uh, When you're in something and you love what you do and you're passionate about it, you can be so committed to it that you can miss some ways that it might be um, improved, if you will. So here's what I'm going to do. For October and November, I'm, I'm taking some folks through instead of the 12-week coaching process, it's eight weeks. So it's like, it's saying, okay, it's already stripped down to something core and essential, but what if we took it down to even a a more core essential manifestation? So for October, November, I'm going to take some folks through 
our bedrock coaching. It's eight weeks. It's the most intense wiring, rewiring of a journey that I know of that you'll go through as a self-development process. It's a total blast. And um, that, you know, the fact that we've got people that we work with from, you know, New Zealand to different parts of the country, and it's all referral-based. And and that's because people have been through it and their lives are changed. And I want to make it uh, easier to access for some that may not be able to commit to the 12-week journey or afford that. So if you're interested um, and that's something that you're like, yes, I want to make October and November killer and I want to run into 2017 with a new level of focus and awareness, uh, let me know. Reach out to me. You can drop me an email at chrismcallister.com or siteshift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. And uh, we've got some, we'll connect and go from there. Thanks. Have a great one. Peace.